And welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Yeah, Gavin. Optimus it, Prime. <laughs> oh, that was actually, you know what? That it was a pretty good that. Optimus Prime. Like, I wasn't really thinking it was supposed to be something specific. But then when you, and I'm not sure it even started off that way. But once you said Optimus Prime, I'm like, oh. It went there. It went there. I like that. You know what's Autobots funny is. roll out. <laughs> if you, did you listen to our lost episode at all? I haven't, not yet. Oh, okay. Well, because at the beginning, you, you start off with this, like, um, Gavin, and <laughs> I don't know what to do from here. And I was like, yeah. Uh, I, I listened to bits and pieces of it, obviously, as I was getting it ready. But, uh, yeah, excited to be recording a new episode. Uh, we were talking about this one. Super excited for what we are going to be. I mean, you and I were talking about doing this episode, like, last yeah. week. Didn't get the chance to record it. But I'm happy that we are now. But uh, first things first, uh, and I would even mention this in our little pre-discussion, but I literally, as I was getting out my phone to text you and stuff, uh, Instagram popped up and I saw Michael Worth, our friend Michael Worth from uh, the Clones cast, you know, martial arts star. He posted that Roy Haran uh, passed away. Oh. So Roy Haran is most famous for having acted in Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. He's the Russian priest. <laughs> assassin he was in one of my all-time favorites game of death 2 or tower of death uh he was a producer at seasonal films with Ng Si Yun. uh he's the father of selena jade the uh actress and singer uh co-star of the film wolf warrior with Wu jing and also uh was it not fatal contact a legendary assassin i think with Wu jing but uh Anywho, it seems that he has passed away, so may he rest in peace. Uh, but yeah, uh, any other news? Any other uh, martial arts related stuff? I mean, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was gonna mention that I had uh, gone to see a special film at the New Beverly. Center. Oh my God! Yes, you did, and. I, I okay. Here's the deal. The funny part is, you know, some people get envious of other individuals, or I'm one of those people that when I see my friends and everyone else have great success, I'm always so happy for them, right? Like yeah. I'm never a jealous person. Like I wish I could do that, or I wish I was making that money. Or I'm always like, yeah, man, keep kicking ass, woo! But I am not gonna lie. I got. I'm very happy you got to go see the movie, but I was definitely jealous, envious, and wishing. I could have been there for that. And do you want to share with everybody what you went to go see? Yes, I, I went to see Encounter of a Spooky Kind too. Yes. And, you know, um, two thoughts emerge from that film. Mm -hmm. First is, I think we're due for Encounter of a Spooky Kind 3 yes. with Samuel Hung as the master. Oh, yeah, I mean, of course. And also, you know what's great about these Samuel Hung movies? It's like, okay, we know that I'm a huge Samuel Hung fan. But when you see him on the big screen, you don't need explosions. You don't need uh, storylines, like edgy storylines or anything like that. You just need Samo. Because Samo is the spectacle. He is, he's, he does everything you want in an action film. Uh, I, he does it with such great intent, such great charisma, and his movement, his moves. It's just, I need more of Samuel on the big screen. And quite honestly, we should start a petition. I want one Samuel movie at least every other month because 
on the weekends on the weekends weekend. so i can drive down <laughs> it's it's just so great and like the you know i, I think i texted you right afterwards the the monkey Mm-hmm. The scene where he fights the the gentleman who's possessed by the monkey yeah. is one of just in the street, it's right? Worth the, in the street, yeah. it's, it's worth the price of admission. Well, here's the deal. First of all, New Beverly always on film, right? So people have to realize this is also an original like film copy. And the other thing is, Encounter the Spooky Kind too. It's really hard to find a good copy of it because mm-hmm. uh, even the one they have at uh, Cinephile, the one of the last video rental places on the West Side in LA, I rented their version of it, and it's a bootleg. Straight mm-hmm. up. I mean, it's it looks like a VHS taped off a TV. So it's not the worst. I mean, it's it's not like uh, some bootlegs are so blurry you can't tell what's going on. It's not like that. It just looks like an old ass taped off a TV VHS tape. Uh, I said that weird. VHS tape. And for listeners that were born after that era, you, you can't know unless you know. But yeah. yeah, so that's the only version I've seen. Uh, and same thing. I think on YouTube... There is a really good version of it, but if I'm not mistaken, it does not have subtitles. So therefore, uh, you know, you you can't tell what's going on well, plot wise. You, you're not mistaken because I wanted to go back because the final fight is against two uh, two gentlemen possessed by snakes, and I'm yeah. like, is that Dick Way and and it's Colin Cho? Yeah, well, because remember Colin Cho, uh, who at that time may have still been called uh, Nai Sing, or uh, he was. Part of Sammo's stunt team, but he mm-hmm. he definitely started off in Taiwanese films like uh, in the eighties because there's that one uh, Taekwondo movie he did where he fights Alexander Lowe. But uh, either which way, I, I digress. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh no, it's just it, but yeah, watching watching them on screen. I mean, I was just like enthralled with the movie. And I'm like, I recognize those guys. I'm going to go back. I know one has to be Dick Way, but uh, uh, so I went back and of course like confirmed on imdb then i uh threw it up on youtube but uh, yeah the print's just not the same watching it on film is just no of course even if you have a good copy it's, it's so much different when you go to the movies it's it's a magical experience and uh it's funny because i first saw a clip of that on the documentary cinema of vengeance of vengeance so anybody mm-hmm. that liked my top fighter recommendation check out cinema of vengeance because actually you saw the same footage it's the same guys toby russell made that one too Excuse me. Uh, but you see a clip of it. And I remember watching because I, to be honest with you, uh, wasn't the biggest fan of the first one, Encounter of the Spooky Kind. When I first saw it, I remember buying a DVD of it or a VCD of it in Chinatown, San Francisco. I don't know what happened to it. It's interesting. That's one of my uh, disc copies of a mm-hmm. movie that just disappeared. Uh, it might be somewhere. And I because I want to go back and rewatch it. But that's why when I saw that clip from number two, I was like, oh, this is much more like modern uh, as opposed to like the the first movie had a lot more of that kind of uh oh and i can't think of the name of it in chinese right now but like the the mystical arts you know like yes. the the magic fighting uh which i wasn't really as much of a fan of back then uh but yeah number two has kind of more of those hard-hitting style almost contemporary hong kong uh fight scenes and yeah watching it, uh, one of samuel's movies on the big screen is incredible and i'm lucky enough i got to go see eastern condors a few years back yeah. at the new beverly and yeah it's just so cool it's so I cool i think we were at that i think we were at that uh, marvin and i was at that screen it could have been before we knew each other or yeah what? it's like as once again for people that don't know we had met but then we really like kind of uh connected when we ran into each other at the screening of drunken master at the arc light uh hollywood 
uh, where it's like, hey, what are you doing here? Hey, you like kung fu movies? I like kung fu movies. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, so you guys very well could have been. I, I'd imagine you were. I think I went by myself. So, <laughs> uh, But that was back when I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was before we knew each other because that's when I lived down the street, literally. I lived in yeah. mid-city, and so I could walk to the New Beverly in about 15 minutes. Uh, it was just literally a straight walk. down. I went down one street, and then there it was. But uh Okay, maybe I took a, a right and walked for like a, a minute. Sorry, guys. So, <laughs> um, speaking, so your what was your first experience of seeing Samo on on the big screen? Not your first Samo movie, was it Eastern Condors on the big screen or on a screen? Like I mean, that's not. I, you're talking like a theatrical yes, setting, like a theatrical screen. I'm trying to think if there's been another one aside from Eastern Condors. I think for me, the first one was Is the Island on Fire. No, I definitely didn't see that one with you or. Oh, no, I, no. Yeah. I, I mean, I, from, I saw that like when it was released, uh, like at the, it's, it's Japanese release. And I, I, that's when I first saw Samo and I was like, oh, this guy's. I, I mean, I'd seen Samo before in movies, but like the first time seeing him on the big screen, he just had like his charisma eats up the, every inch of the screen. Yeah. I'd have to go back and like scroll through all the new Beverly uh screenings because i can't imagine where else would i have seen him on the big screen right i know i think we i i think it's about time we see pedicab driver on the big screen oh my god has new beverly ever done that before i want to say yes but i don't think so okay well yeah i wouldn't be surprised that's the kind of one they would but i yeah man i don't think i uh i'm trying to think because i've never oh technically okay i went to a midnight screening of enter the dragon while i was an undergrad uh, and it was in a movie theater. I can't remember if it was actually on film or digital, but so technically I, I've seen him uh, on the big screen in that sense. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I don't really want to get too sidetracked and try to scroll through all of my Instagram posts. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> but uh, no, I, to be honest with you, I think it was just pretty much Eastern Condors is the only like straight up Samo movie I've ever had the privilege of watching on the big screen. Well, I, I say we make a petition and we, we send it over to all the independent movie theaters. But like basically New Beverly say more Samuel, please. That was fantastic. And I I think their audience like the audience I had was great. Uh, uh, the audience reportedly from the night before uh, was fantastic. Just reacting to everything. I mean, it's such a fun film. And Samuel on the big screen is great. Yeah. Let's, um, uh, we, we can reach out. The only problem is it's got to be on the weekends. Otherwise, I can't make it. it. Is, yeah. I work a standard nine to five now. So. I could potentially ask for a half day off, but that would require me to drive five and a half hours if I hit no traffic, watch the movies, then not go to sleep, drive five and a half hours back to my, the parking lot of my work, maybe take like a, if I could an hour or two nap in my car and then go to work. So not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyways, uh, do you have any questions today? You know, I have a I have a very simple question because I've heard this word pr- pronounced two separate ways. Sure. And uh, it regards the type of film we're watching today. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you pronounce the word B-I? So basically, bio, biopic or biopic? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, how, do you, how does this I would say, AJ pronounce I that? would say biopic. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like it just... 
It makes sense. Well, because I think that's what it is. It's technically, uh, oh, what's the word that you call that? Uh, uh, like shorthand. picture. Right. So it's it's a combination to shorten both words. So it'd be like biopic, right? All right. Yeah. So, so we're, that, we're, the Martial Arts Mini Podcast is embracing this then. Yep. And we are the official resource for all English language questions. Speaking we, of which, I did yes. want to address today, and I always say I'm going to talk about this. So looking at our stats and so forth, uh, we have... So many international listeners right now. Uh, and so, because when I look on uh, our, you know, our stats, I can see where everyone's listening, what cities in the world. And guess what our number one country was? Okay, in the past it was Singapore. What, what region are we talking about? We're going to Europe this time, baby. Are you going to Europe? Yes. Are we, are we doing well in Germany? Uh, well, Germany's on there, so we're going to get to that, but it's not our number one. Well, there's a great podcaster in Portugal, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not Portugal. It's not Bruce Willow. But uh, okay. uh, I don't even think is Portugal it, made it on there this time. So what the heck? Maybe, it, maybe it did. Is it between those two countries? No, not at all. Think, okay, I'm going, think, uh, think kickboxing. Oh, really? So we're going, are we going towards, uh, we're going this way. We're going towards Netherlands. There you go. Netherlands was right. our number one. We had uh, 12, oh, excuse me. Well, U.S. is always number one, but I'm talking about our outside. But our number one city was Amsterdam. It beat every other U.S. city. Overall, U.S. had the most plays, but Netherlands was number two. So uh, I don't know how to say thank you uh, exactly in Dutch, but I'm going to attempt to, and I didn't listen to it. Wait, let's see if. Did you hear that just now? I didn't. Oh, bedankt. Bedankt. So that's that's thank you. So bedankt to all of our listeners. Uh, number three was the United Kingdom. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> number four was Hong Kong. Uh, number five was France. Uh, so merci, merci. Uh, the next one was Morocco. So uh, that would be, I guess, Arabic would be uh, Shukran. Shukran, I think. Did I say that right? Do you know? I, I, I think it was, yeah, Shukran I, or Shukran. Yeah, Shukran. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. I, I, that's all I know how to say in Arabic, uh, just because I've learned how to say that to say thank you. Uh, uh, so let's see here. Next one was uh, the Philippines. Uh, salama po, salama po, yeah. Uh, next one was Thailand. Kapukap. Thank you. Uh, next one was Canada. Uh, thanks. Unless it's French Canada. Unless it's French Canada. In that case, merci. Then the next one was Belgium. Merci. The next one was Egypt. So once again, shukran. Uh, next one is the Russian Federation. Now, uh, I don't know how to say thank you in Russian. Do you? I don't. Yeah. All these other ones I actually know. I had to look up Netherlands, but Russian, I don't know. So next week, I'll try to get on top of that. Thank you to our listeners in Russia, though. We appreciate you. Uh, Germany is our next one. Danke, Shane. Danke, danke. Uh, next one is Spain. Muchas gracias. Uh, next is Ireland. Uh, thank you. Uh, last one is my mother country, well, I mean, you know, where my great-grandma came from, Italy. So, grazie, grazie. And those are our top countries of the week. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, I love it. I love that we have listeners all over. So, actually, we were we were lacking a little bit in the Asian hemisphere. Well, now we had Hong Kong and the Philippines. So, uh, I'm not sure where our listeners are uh, in Taiwan, what they were up to last week. Huh. 
I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? I, I don't know. They need to answer. They do. Taiwan men, how are The Taiwan people. What's wrong? Uh, anyways, uh, any final notes before we begin this discussion? I mean, so it, as we get into this film, I there are some thoughts on recasting. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a usual question we ask, but I'm just going to wait until we jump into this film. Sure. So the movie we are talking about today is... And it's funny because you brought up Bruce Willow. And this was actually the movie that got him into the martial arts. Uh, He mentioned that before. Uh, So this movie, it's it's special because in all honesty, I love this film. But there's (laughs) – and we're going to get into it. Either way, we are talking about Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, the 1993 biopic about Bruce Lee starring Jason Scott Lee. No relation. Lauren Hawley. And some other folks directed by Rob Cohen, probably most famous for having directed the original Fast and the Furious uh, for a lot of listeners. Uh, yeah. So the originally, and this will be the title that goes up online, I, I just randomly texted Gavin like a little over a week ago. And I said, Dragon the Bruce Lee story, biopic, historical fiction, or Bruceploitation? <laughs> and so that's what we're kind of going to discuss today because as i said i love this movie i've always loved it Uh, i think it really captures what you might call the essence or the being the spiritualness of bruce lee and how impactful he was how powerful he was that being said it is possibly one of in terms of uh factual accounts and documenting someone's lives, it's maybe one of the worst biopics for a 20th century uh, individual that we know actually what happened. It's like one thing if you make a movie about Alexander the Great and you're filling in the blanks, right? Or, you know, uh, I don't know, Genghis Khan even, right? But no, we we know pretty much everything about Bruce Lee. And I say that, yet obviously we had the drug letter revelation from the beginning of the summer. But for the most part, when making a biopic, you could really make an accurate story, which they chose to go a whole different direction, both in terms of the history of his life, the timeline of his life, Mm -hmm. and then just making stuff up. So in that sense, it is literally one of the worst biopics ever made, but in the sense of capturing the spirit of Bruce Lee and making an amazing film and just beautifully shot in that case it's one of my all-time favorite biopics but it's, then when you look at this okay so it's they make this movie they have the opportunity to tell the true story of bruce lee they instead choose not to they instead to play decide to play fast and loose with the facts and then just make up stuff so then in that sense are you crossing over into bruce bloitation simply because let's look at all the biopics from the 70s that were made bruce lee started in like almost like 10 uh and so many of them were just completely inaccurate like a hundred percent inaccurate yet some of them were almost just as accurate as this one yet they're considered bruceploitation films like something like bruce lee the man the myth one of my all-time favorite movies right and it was on uh i've i've done it as like my sunday funday recommendation on instagram and that movie actually gets a lot of stuff correct in terms of the biographical elements of his life that this movie doesn't and so 
why is that considered bruxploitation when this one isn't? And obviously, bruxploitation is a very unique subgenre belonging directly to Bruce Lee. It's not like we have a James Dean exploitation, you know, or a, a Judy Garland exploitation of other celebrities that died young. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what we're going to be talking it's, about today. Yeah, it's it, it's it it's a film that. I get torn between like the three categories it could fit, fill, fit mm-hmm. into because as a biopic, it does introduce the audience uh, to a greater understanding of maybe the person who they've only seen uh, at, up to that point, Enter the Dragon. Uh, when if you even, because you'd be yeah, surprised yeah, you're, how you're many right. people like because Bruce Lee, even when, you know, I was a kid, we'll say early 90s. Everyone knew who Bruce Lee was, household name, but not necessarily had, you know, seen him in something before. Right. No, you're right. And and this this was released like around the 20th anniversary of. Yeah. Oh. So we're talking 1993. So yeah. uh, but the interesting part is and we're coming from for me, for example, at that age, I was already super into movies. I was super into trailers and I really liked watching the TV guy channel just to watch movie trailers, because once again, we're talking 1993, no Internet yet, uh, you know. There was no way to watch trailers unless they were on VHS tapes already, or you could turn the TV Guide channel on, which for those who don't remember, it was a channel that would scroll through at the like the bottom half of the screen would scroll scroll through all of your cable channels mm-hmm. uh, and show you like what was playing at that time. And you could see for like the next three hours, then the top half of the screen would be like trailers of movies playing on channels and so forth. Right. But the interesting part is I had no idea this movie existed until I caught it on cable TV, like in the late 90s. And this is coming from a kid at that age. I was already super into martial arts and stuff, right? Like I loved the Ninja Turtles. By that age, I had seen uh, Surf Ninjas and Sidekicks, the two of the most influential movies for me, right? But so you think this movie would have at least been on my radar, right? Like I would have seen the trailer for it. No, had never even heard of it. So... The interesting part is by the time I watched it, I was already a, a, a huge martial arts movie fan. Jackie Chan had come out. I'm watching Kung Fu movies, this and that. And I believe by that point, I had already got to see the Bruce Lee movies because once again, this comes up a lot. I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, uh, blah, blah, blah. I eventually got the Bruce Lee box set, Christmas 1999, watched them all in one day. Boom. And I believe... So I'd already seen all this and then I turn on TV one day and it was the opening sequence, the fight sequence, right? And I turn it on mm-hmm. right as the fight starting and I'm like, oh, what movie is this? And it was on USA. I remember the channel it was on. I'm watching it. Whoa, whoa, okay. Whoa, what movie is this? These, this is an American movie, but these are like, it's kind of more like Hong Kong style fight scenes a little bit. I'm like, what's going on here? And then it's in Cantonese, right? Uh, and then as she's walking away with him, uh, the, the girl he saves uh, she she's uh, she says something along the lines of like uh, you know thank you little dragon uh, sorry my Cantonese is terrible everybody but uh, which was his Chinese name right so in Mandarin it's Li Xiaolong uh, but yeah and so I'm like wait a minute little dragon that's that's Bruce Lee's name what's going on here and then I keep watching uh-huh. and sure enough I'm like this is a Bruce Lee biopic so I sit there and I watch the rest of it. Next thing I do, I go into the TV guide. I look up the movie. That's, once again, how you had to do it back then to see when it was playing next. Recorded it off a of TV. And then now that I knew this movie was there and, like, who was in it, I went and pulled out my 
uh, video hound encyclopedia of movies, looked it up, and I was like, what is this movie? Who is this? Jason Scott Lee. I'm like, that's the Mowgli from The Jungle Book. Because uh, that was like his other big role, right? So this movie like had flown under my radar somehow as a kid, but then I watch it and I'm immediately captivated by it. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw it? It wasn't in the theaters and it was definitely a rental. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeking out the rental and I remember watching it. It was probably very much late 90s. Uh, at least when I, yeah, at least when I was in law, by the time I moved to Long Beach and it was, I, I remember seeing it on the shelves. Uh, so I can't tell you exactly when, well, but it's probably somewhere between 97 and 99. And your excuse would be you were living in Japan when it came out. Yeah. But don't you I think was, it would have gotten a theatrical in Japan? You would have thought. Yeah. It probably did. But I don't, I mean, that's around the time where, uh, what, what, real quick, this is random, and I, I think maybe listeners might like to know this, and maybe you know. What is uh, his name in Japanese? Do they give him a different name? Like, for example, in Cantonese, Lei Xiaolong, in Mandarin, straight up to this day, like, you cannot say Bruce Lee. You'd say uh, Li Xiaolong. I mean, I, I still re- I remember him being referred to as Bruce Lee, period. Right, but that's more common in Japanese, right? It is, yeah. Uh, well, also because, I mean, in Mandarin, it's different, right? Because he is... Uh, Chinese. So, of course, you're going to go by his Chinese name. But a lot of times uh, with Japanese, it seems they it's kind of they'll obviously have to use the 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 kanji, right, to write it. But yeah. it's like, what's what's Jackie Chan's name again in Japanese? So in ja- Jackie Chan in Japan, they call him Jackie Chan. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a and phonetic. So they, and I'm, I'm looking at a poster for Bruce Lee and it's Bruce dot Lee. Yeah, so, so it makes sense. Bruce Lee. Bruce yeah. Lee. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, so we uh, uh, random. But yeah, so we both saw it around the same period. Uh, the film itself, I believe, is beautifully shot and executed. Yeah, I was just trying to look up the cinematographer and I I, my, I don't want to type too much, but I should have looked that up before because there's some scenes that are just so beautifully well lit, uh, beautifully lit, beautifully shot. Like I'm thinking in particular the... The scene where uh, Linda Lee is informing Bruce that she's going to move back to America. I mean, that's just the the, the lighting, the color. It's and just the the cinematographer's name is David Egby. I'm probably okay. saying that wrong, but it's literally Egg and then by so Egby. Yeah, but he I feel did. Like I recognize his name. He's Australian, and he did the original Mad Max. He did Predator. He okay. did. Uh, Oh, Quigley Down Under. Yeah. Uh, Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man. So he did a uh, Dragonheart. He did a lot of these action movies. And it appears he worked a decent amount uh, with Rob Cohen as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's just there's so many of these moments in the film. I mean, the, the closing, the closing of the film is just so well shot as well. I mean, it's just, it, they're, it, you, you get a feel uh, for for the environment they're in. Uh, just Just... Uh, like I, I personally love the scenes that are shot at the at the Chinese restaurant, which is actually located in Little Tokyo. Um, I'm for blanking on the name of the restaurant, but it was it was a staple in Little Tokyo for the longest time, and and I think public funding uh, helped. It's it's now like a landmark of some. Oh, uh, cool! But it, yeah, it's it's just the way the even the restaurant scenes are shot from above and the, the back. It, it just really well done and there's a lot of like so on that sense and then also within the fights which we'll get to more uh 
there's a lot of great dynamic camera work, right? Like they mm-hmm. it was Samo style almost where they do these traveling shots uh, where they're like, or tracking, you know, where it's, it's on the rails and it's moving, following the action. Nothing crazy, not shaky camera work, beautifully like done, like just movement where they follow the action, uh, you know, the framing of all of it. And a lot of that has to do with the, the fight scenes in this film. Uh, some are better than others. Once again, you had a lot of non-martial artists in the, the fight scenes and even Jason Scott Lee himself was not a martial artist prior to this, but they did a very good job of training him for this movie and he was so athletic. And it's one of those movies that they pull off uh, some incredible fight sequences with an actor who was not a martial artist by trade playing maybe the greatest martial artist of the 20th century. So yeah, I, I, uh, I have, I have a thought on the, on the fight sequences that we'll, we can talk about once we get into them. Uh, as, as long as we're still talking about some of the film elements, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was the, the Newman, the, the soundtrack is beautiful. Yes. That's you can't a- take anything away from the soundtrack. I mean, they're even like, I feel like I've, I've, Heard the soundtrack sampled elsewhere. Oh, oh well, I was going to do a whole separate, but now that we're talking about it, yes. The soundtrack to this film by Randy Edelman is, I don't know how this was not nominated for an Oscar, mm-hmm. let alone won an Oscar, uh, because it is incredible. I have the soundtrack on my phone. For the longest time, it wasn't available. And when I was doing one of my first student films uh, in college, I wanted to use one of it for one of my movies, and I had to bootleg take a, a clip off of YouTube and then it was like mm-hmm. the most horrible audio quality. But now it is available on Apple Music. But uh, it has been sampled to death. And I remember I one of the first times I saw it was for the NBC miniseries, the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And this big epic, you know, miniseries back, once again, people, miniseries are what we now pretty much call Netflix series. They were <laughs> like on television, 10 to 12 episodes. We're going back to Roots in the 1970s. Uh, and so miniseries were kind of a big deal, right? Like, uh, and I remember seeing the the trailer for it and they sure enough sampled uh, the music from Dragon the Bruce Lee story. I'm like, that's the Dragon the Bruce Lee story theme. I know. Obviously, I, real quick, Donnie Yen's Fist of Fury TV show heavily sampled it as well <laughs> uh, throughout the entire series. And it, sure, it makes it fantastic and I have no qualms about it. I'm like, cool, use it. But then again, each time I hear it, I'm like, hmm, Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Nice. Well, so my 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 one thought was instead of Randy Edelman, which I almost uh, part of me almost wanted Lalo Schifrin because of the uh, End of the Dragon soundtrack. And so for like this continuum of uh, at least for the American audience, the capturing the essence of Lee, because I mean, you know, uh, Lalo Schifrin went on to work with Bruce Lee, uh, Jackie Chan in the big brawl. And of course, uh, the rush hour films. Yeah. So I, there was part of me when I, when I saw the, the credits, I'm like, the soundtrack is beautiful. And then I'm like, but man, wouldn't it be nice to see Lalo Schifrin's name there? But I mean, of course it's just like, it's such a beautiful soundtrack. Like, all right, you know, wishful thinking on my part, because I mean, the, particularly the, the way the score just crescendos at the end there. And I'm like this, this, I've heard this so many other places. Oh yeah. It's it's, just, it, it's it's possibly like one of the most sampled ones. Those two examples are just the ones I have to, off the top of my head. But, but yeah, you, you definitely I've definitely heard it in commercials. I yep. feel like I've heard it in other films, like you know maybe B grade films that are ripping from uh-huh. from this. You know, so I mean, it's like what can I say? Would I have loved Lalo Schifrin's name next to uh, 
uh, assigned to this to the project of of uh, Bruce Lee, of course. But at the same time, it's like it's a perfect soundtrack. Right. So soundtrack's perfect. Cinematography is beautiful. The lighting, everything, the way it's shot. Actors. So as we kind of mentioned, Jason Scott Lee. Uh, was an actor that Rob Cohen kind of had to, you know, or they were hesitant about, but then they saw just, because he doesn't really look like Bruce Lee. In fact, jokingly, he kind of looks more like Dragon Lee. Uh, and I remember City on Fire a couple years back, the website did a joking, like, April 1st post where they, they made this whole thing about how supposedly nobody who made Dragon the Bruce Lee story had actually seen a Bruce Lee movie. They had only seen Dragon Lee movies, and that's why they cast Jason Scott Lee, uh, who also... He does do definitely an exaggerated Bruce Lee throughout the film, mm-hmm. a la Dragon Bruce Lee or some of the Bruce Bloitation actors, which is another way it kind of segues into that uh, Bruce Bloitation dynamic. But uh, anyway, Jason Scott Lee, though, is an incredible actor who does an incredible job for the most part, uh, pulled off the martial arts team, which is really well, has an incredible physique and amazing athleticism, which is almost more important than necessarily being the best martial artist in the world. I feel like with a a character like Bruce Lee, because even his physique like transcends the screen almost. It's like, it's, it just pops out at you. And uh, even still, it's not like it looks exactly like Bruce Lee's physique either. So there's a lot of those elements, but I, I would not have cast someone else in this sense. And maybe this is going to come up with you, but I feel like it was one of those risks where typically nine times out of 10, when you cast actor over martial artist, it does not work out well. Right. Uh, In this case, I feel like this movie pulled it off. Uh, I really liked Lauren Holly as uh, Linda Lee Mm -hmm. uh, Cadwell or Linda Lee at that time, obviously Uh, you have a lot of other great casting choices in there. you know, some of the antagonists, obviously John Chung, who's from the Jackie Chan stunt team, a kung fu actor that you can see in movies throughout the 70s. He's one of my fa- he's in one of my favorite Bruce Bloitation movies, surprisingly enough, Image of Bruce Lee. Uh, you see him fight Jackie a lot on screen and he was also the fight choreographer. Right. So they brought him mm-hmm. in and he plays what would be the quote unquote Wong Jack Man character. Right. Yeah. Uh, who's not given that name. Uh, you have Ong Su Han, who plays his brother, who's actually a Thai actor, but mm-hmm. brings a great physicality for their final fight sequence in Thailand, which is amazing. Uh, who else? You have Robert Wagner in there, mm-hmm. who uh, say what you will about him as a person and his personal life, which we won't get into. You know the story of Robert Wagner, right? No, tell it to me. Yes, I, I know. Oh, okay. You, okay. I, you were looking at me like you had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, dude, he. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. Uh, but he does a great job in the movie. Uh, I, I mean, he's he's he he. So he's one of the most nuanced characters. Yeah, because he's super friendly. He represents a lot of. He 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 plays the role of all the hope that Bruce Lee has in mm-hmm. America, and then he can be Weasley. Oh yeah, and he and he and he is willing to accept being Weasley and somewhat weak, somewhat conniving on screen when, when he returns to, to his on-screen presence. And I'm like, you know, not a lot of actors would be willing to, to pull that off. And in, in what is arguably, for many of the characters, maybe only one to two, maybe three notes deep, his character had to go a little deeper than that and, and be, be willing to be this, this enigma. And he, he, he pulled it off. Yeah, uh, there, there, there's actually like one character that you mentioned that I wouldn't mind having seen a recast, but for the same reason that I wouldn't have mind, I would have loved to have seen Lola Schifrin's name affixed. I'm going to ask you, you that you real quick, but I just want to give a shout out to two more members of the cast because we have Rick Young, great character actor for me, mm-hmm. best remembered from uh, The Transporter and mm-hmm. Kiss the Dragon. 
But also we have Nancy Kwan, who yes. worked with uh, Bruce Lee on the, the Wrecking Crew. Yes. So, but who would you have recast? Okay. Uh, so for the unnamed Wong Jack Wong Man Jack character? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bolo oh. Young. I'm sorry. But that's, again, that's me because I know the, I know the character... I don't know if he would have portrayed the character in the same way, but again, it's also me tying in the real Bruce Lee's work with some familiarity and some and a way of getting the blessing in a way. Yeah, I could from, I could go with people. that. Uh, the thing is, like with John Chung, uh, the style. Yeah, I mean, it works. Yeah, I'm it not, works. I'm not, I'm not but, and so, but Bolo would have been around that same thing because John Chung like bulked up for this movie. He's actually kind of like thick and stocky, like Bolo. And obviously, they're not going for kind of like the real style of uh, Wong Jack Man. Wong Jack Man was a northern Shaolin. And once again, I am not the kung fu expert, but the style he uses is more of also a hard southern style. He's doing like tire claws. Obviously, he scratches him. But Bolo probably would have done a better job pulling off like a northern style because of his Tai Chi uh, preference. He, you know, likes to Mm -hmm. do Tai Chi and stuff. And Bolo can like pull off whatever. He would have brought great... uh, athleticism to it as always and obviously we know the kind of shape he was in at that point uh he had you know just recently done double impact could have easily still done a great performance there as well but he would have never done it because you know know. he he would have been like i you know love bruce lee too much but we could have easily pulled like someone else uh from the jackie chan stunt team of course uh you know we could have done a ken lo but really what you would have needed though was more of a traditional (laughs) kung fu person uh, which Ken Lo wasn't. So yeah. actually he would have been a poor choice. How about Mars? No, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. And even when it comes to casting, like I think famously they did offer the role to Brandon Lee, but yeah. I would not have wanted to see him in the role. And not to mention, wouldn't it be weird playing your dad and like having to film a love scene with what's supposed to be your mom? Yeah. I think I would have been a little weird. weirded out by that. Uh, and that's an important part of the story because this is based off of uh, Linda Lee Cadwell's book, Bruce Lee, The Man Only I Knew, but the second edition of the book, not the original one released in the 70s, the re-release they did before the movie that took out some of the more, uh, what's the proper word? Uh, uh, the... Mm, the imperfections of Bruce, right? Or some even like, yeah. you know, the things that made him more human. Uh because, you know, they wanted to present him more as uh, a not perfect, but, you know, once again, you, you want to make your okay. protagonist look as likable and heroic in this kind of movie as you can. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and then that's where you start to that's where it starts to fall away from the biopic and even from historical fiction into Bruce exploitation. And I, that and, you know, going back to that, I mean. If you were supposed, if you sort of made the canon of the Bruce exploitation universe, this could fit in there just perfectly. Yeah, and the the one other casting choice, remember, one of the other main people up for the role was Mark Dacascos. And yeah. and, I, and those, I thought about both of those char- actors, of course. But and Mark Dacascos is fantastic; he's incredible. Never got his fair shake. I'm kind of glad. To, I'm glad to see he's getting kind of a late career resurgence in a sense with John Wick Three. But I don't like the idea of him in that role at that time. It's just. Jason Scott Lee, I feel like once again, it's if you see him side by side with Bruce, it's like he doesn't he doesn't do a a, a great job of 
emulating the real Bruce Lee, but he does a fantastic job of creating a cinematic interpretation of mm-hmm. Bruce Lee uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, like in the parts that really matter, the dramatic moments, the acting moments, and even most of the fights and stuff. But obviously there are some big moments of Bruce Bloitation in uh, depictions of Bruce Lee, like a lot of the... Right. And, you know, the he does a lot of those like kind of exaggerated sounds that, yes, Bruce Lee did make the sounds, but the Bruce Boitation films took him to a next level. And that's almost (laughs) kind of what they do in this one. They're more uh, copying that style. Uh, You you know, it's funny is as as you point out that there are clear visual differences between Bruce Lee himself and Jason Scott Lee. it's it's a wonder that Lee from Showdown, pay, played by Patrick Kilpatrick, didn't know the difference because in his altar he had a poster of Jason <laughs> Scott Lee as Bruce Lee. Well, the funny part is up in my gym I still have this poster that I got like in 7th or 8th grade. It was in Lake Tahoe. It was one of the last family trips we took there. Uh, and there was this art fair. And you're going around, you know, and somebody was selling this portrait they had done of – they had two different ones of Bruce Lee. And so what it is, it's a drawing of Bruce Lee, actually Bruce Lee's face. Then the bottom is a drawing of the cover art or poster art from Dragon the Bruce Lee series where it's Jason Scott Lee like kicking in front of the setting sun or whatever. Yes. And that's the bottom of this hand-drawn poster <laughs> or uh, you know artwork I have. And it's beautiful. And I have it up in my gym. But the funny part is it's Bruce Lee and then Dragon Lee. So obviously this artist was like – they had to have known, but they couldn't even make it like because it's they have totally different physiques. And Jason Scott Lee has one of the most I would put him up there with one of the most uh, incredibly impressive physique, but one of the most unique ones ever in cinema in the sense of like an athletic build because it was from his like years of I believe he was a gym a gymnast, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. which helped obviously him adapting the martial arts aspects of the film. But and I believe he was also a surfer. He's a native Chinese Hawaiian uh, and like, for example, you even saw in the recent Mulan movie, he got specifically back in shape to play the antagonist. And he mm-hmm. looked nearly identical to his physique in Dragon the Bruce Lee story nearly 20 years before. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that he did have some gymnastics work because at some point we will talk about a little uh, a little bit of gym kata that we got to see in this film. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So we've talked about a few things now. Uh so let's let's go ahead and really focus on the fight scenes here for a minute. So one of the issues people have with this film is the actual depiction of Bruce Lee's art style, Jeet Kune Do, right? Jeet Kune Do in Mandarin. Sorry, no one ever calls it that, but okay. Uh, and so, and a lot of that comes down to, once again, we've brought this up a little bit and we're not the foremost experts, right? My main style is what you would just call kickboxing. Uh, you have studied Hung Fut Kung Fu, uh, you've studied kickboxing. You're, you're kind of over the. We are not necessarily kung fu guys. We love kung fu, but in complete transparency, we are not the foremost experts. That being said, there we are definitely aware, and I am very intrigued by kung fu politics specifically. Like mm-hmm. there's Wing Chun politics, right? But also there's mm-hmm. when I began listening to the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, and I would get the uh, input of the late great Big Sean on Jeet Kune Do politics, that was something kind of eye-opening for me. And then becoming friends with someone like, say, our, our good buddy, uh, Peter Yun at Legacy JKD, uh, one of the 
foremost JKD experts I've ever met, both in history and application. But you learn about JKD politics, right? And that is a, a deep, deep dive I don't want to go into. But so some of the criticism is the actual depiction of Jeet Kune Do on screen. You may say, oh, well, in choreographing the fights, like, you know, how does that work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, sorry, I just got a text from work and then ugh, distracting. Uh, uh, but it's, it's more like the training sequences, right? And so at that time, there was already like drama going on between the Lee estate and like different representations of JKD and the different past people had gone. So the technical advisor for the JKD on this film was a student of Bruce Lee's named Jerry Poteet. Now, I am not, once again, the JKD expert and even Jerry Poteet himself. I've only seen, you know, the videos online of him training and this and that. What I will say right out the gate is the current uh, lineage of his like JKD, I am uh, very impressed by because I actually used to train a client of mine in a park in L.A. uh, right Mm -hmm. off, I think, Lincoln. I think I told you about this. I'm training her and I look over, I'm like, oh, there's a martial arts group. And I saw they were doing uh, like trapping and, you know, what looked like chi sao. Like, so I'm like, oh, it's a Wing Chun group. But then as I'm watching them from a distance, I'm on the other side of the park. I'm like, well, no, that's not exactly straight up chi sao. And like the the, the trapping and the pak sao and this and the stuff they're doing. I'm like, it, huh, it looks a little more like maybe that's Ji Kune Do. And then they start hitting uh-huh. the pads and they're doing the straight up like rhythmic JKD pad work. I recognize. I'm like, holy crap. So I look them up online. I literally just Google JKD class Saturday mornings at whatever whatever park it was and then I found them and there's an individual named uh, Eric Carr and I follow him on social media and I like the way they train from my kickboxing perspective I've watched their videos and like when they now when it comes to their JKD drills I can't speak on that I don't know JKD that well right I have only trained uh, briefly with our friend Peter but from the application and the way they apply it and their sparring I like it. They're doing like full on kickboxing type sparring. They're they're using some tricky setups uh, and it's what we call like non-compliant pressure testing. Uh, You know, they're gloved up, they're head geared up, they're going Mm -hmm. at it. And I'm like, hey, that's cool by me. But I know a lot of people don't necessarily like the JKD that was taught to Jason Scott Lee by Jerry Poteet in this film. Now, once again, I'm not saying I don't like it. This is a critique from those in that world of... JKD and so forth. And so like even his, uh, there's a little bit where he's doing a set on the Mukjong, right? Or the wooden dummy. Yeah. And yeah. it is very not obviously Wing Chun and also apparently not very JKD necessarily. It's more of the style. But guess what? Maybe that's just what Jerry Poteet adapted later on in his own interpretation of JKD. So that's cool. But at the same time, I can understand why people would be critical because this is a depiction of Bruce Lee at that time, circa 1960, whatever, where he would not have been doing it that way, right? So people are going to get nitpicky. And even maybe some of the actual application, like the trapping hands and this and that. But guess what? I think... These fight scenes look amazing. And uh, I know that, for example, Michael Wirth, who I mentioned earlier, coincidentally enough, he was on set because uh, Jerry Poteet was one of his instructors. And some of the best, like, trapping JKD stuff I feel like it's ever been done on movie was in some of his his B films, like uh, Fist of Iron has some of the coolest, most like kind of JKD trapping stuff, which I believe is maybe more in line with the, uh, the lineage he learned from. But he also learned under uh, Guru Dan and Asano, right? Mm-hmm. So I can understand why people would be critical of that. 
Uh, however, I feel that the combination of the quote-unquote JKD that's being put on screen with John Chung, a veteran Hong Kong performer and choreographer, it works well. I think the fight scenes are dynamic. They're explosive. Some of them don't stand the test of time as well, like the whole, I think, Jim Kata one you were going to bring up, I think is a little hokey. But the two fights with the quote-unquote Wong Jack Man character, uh, the the fight against the Wong Jack Man brother, mm-hmm. uh, they're that- all incredible. That and way ahead of their time. That fight in particular stands out. And I think anyone who may have criticism over does Jason Scott Lee emulate this on screen, the not not the look, but the style of Bruce Lee. I feel like that's the old that's the one key fight for me that at least captures the spirit because obviously the film never touches on the one inch punch, but in many ways he's doing it with uh, when the ice is coming at. Oh, so cool. The The slow-mo blowing up of the ice. And yeah, it's like, is it realistic? No, but it's just so cool. And and it it kind of, that, that specific fight for me stands out because it, it truly captures the, the personification or the persona and the, and the power behind behind the the legend mm-hmm. maybe not the man but the legend um exactly which is kind of what i was bringing up earlier it's like it's one of maybe the worst biopics in sense of being accurate but it's one of the best in helping uh crystallize maybe or even uh uh depict the legendary status of bruce lee right yes it does absolutely, and I think you know it's it's funny uh, when, when we talk about the er, the fights that are earlier mm-hmm. in the film, particularly with the with the chefs inside. And I think they're also the with the guys um, at the gym. Oh yeah, the the whole chef fight sequence because uh, yeah. what's his name? I think it's Rambo Kong is the the lead chef guy who he passed away a couple years yeah. ago. Another veteran Hong Kong guy, right? That they obviously. Yeah. Uh, now I can't remember if they actually went and shot anything in Hong Kong and that sequence may, they may have simply because you had all like the Hong Kong stunt guys and stuff. And that was obviously yeah. a set, but, uh, well, what I, what I liked about those is it was good cinematically enjoyable, uh, faster than a lot of things we'd seen on film in America with the exception of rapid fire. And it had a little, uh, it basically felt a little bit like the big brawl, Jackie Chan style big brawl. So Jackie, uh, big brawl paced, maybe slightly faster than big brawl, and Jackie Chan elements to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, I mean, it's it was cinematically fun to watch, and based on where where we were in 1993, I think Karate Kid Three came out 89. somewhere between 89, right? So there was some nice martial arts in that, particularly from Thomas Ian Griffith. Uh, but we in America hadn't seen necessarily great kicking martial arts on mainstream in the mainstream. Yes, from Jeff Speakman. Yes, uh, we've seen some great well, Aikido Van Damme. by that point. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, I'm ta- I'm talking like not in the oh, I get it, not, like kind of in a straight up like almost B movie setting. Yeah, and not, and not in an action movie setting. In in a in a setting that is like more of a more dramatic and on un, un, yeah. rolling out that way. So that's why I reference Karate Kid rather than Jean Claude Van Damme mm-hmm. uh, films. So from that perspective, this is as close. This is the closest we've gotten by 1993 to f- 
good, fast, clean, clean action on the big screen in a dramatic film release uh, with with a few exceptions. And I, I would say like above the law, like Steven Seagal's Nico is an exception to that because it's not just an action film. It is kind of dramatic. Right. And there are some. But anyway, I guess I guess what I'm saying is there's it may not be how we would have expected to see Bruce Lee on film in 1993 because it, it didn't look like Bruce Lee in 93 or, or in, even in 73. But it did feel a little bit like Jackie Chan, but not as slow as the slowed down version of Jackie Chan when, when he was doing the big brawl. Or even the protector. And I yeah. did just uh, briefly look it up that the restaurant fight scene was done in Hong Kong. Okay. Which makes sense because that's a, a, a nice, fast-paced, uh, crisp, clean uh, fight. But, yeah, you bring up excellent points, like especially for, you know, and at that time, the mindset was, and I believe – Maybe it's in the behind the scenes of on the DVD uh, where Rob Cohen's talking about it, where the Hollywood mindset at that time still was you don't cast a martial artist. You cast an actor and train them. Right. Like he even makes Mm -hmm. the analogy of you don't cast a boxer for Raging Bull. You cast Robert De Niro and you train him. And that's actually one of the uh, example, one of the best examples where an actor did a hundred percent dive into it and give a great athletic performance. But the other one he says is like, you don't cast a warrior. You can't, uh, you cast Lawrence Olivier, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, why can't I think of it? Uh, blah, 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 in, uh, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, there we go. No, that's, yeah. no. wait. So <laughs> no, yeah. wait, we get the point. Yeah. Move no, on. hold on. We got to justify this. Hold on. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's very funny because you, I, I, one of the questions I was going to ask at the at the tail end of this, and I'll just ask it now, are like, uh, I think like two of the greatest biopics that are ever, ever, ever filmed were actually penned by the same person. And that's particularly for biopics t- uh, for people in the 20th century. And that's Raging Bull and mm-hmm. Mishima, both penned by uh, Paul Schrader. And they take a lot of... Uh, dramatic license, but they also required the lead performer in, uh, in uh, Robert De Niro and Ogata Ken to get in extreme physical shape for these parts and had to immerse themselves yeah. and become these parts. Yeah. And so in that sense, usually these films acting wise, incredible, but they usually suffer in terms of like action or this or that. But this movie, as I said, they found the perfect casting choice in Jason Scott Lee in that sense. And yes, they're, I feel like, for example, let's say had they cast Mark Dacascos or Brandon Lee, they both would have been able to pull off both aspects as well. I just feel that Jason Scott Lee's charisma brought something special to the screen. And in that sense, I wouldn't necessarily have wanted to see anybody else in the role. Yes, I understand he does not look anything like Bruce Lee. Yes, I understand his physicality is different than Bruce Lee's. Uh, But I just feel like he captured the essence of Bruce Lee in the sense of how captivating he was, how powerful he was, uh, and how special he was. And, 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 you know, I think also if we look back through today's lens, like biopics are done now with actors who look like the part or can be made to look like the part. Yeah. It's the technology is advanced in such a way and, and, uh, and know, makeup, makeup and prosthetics. And exactly. Where, whereas I do prefer someone who can perform the part more so than, than ha- casting a lookalike. And I mean, 
Well, and even uh, the way we train actors now physically for roles, right? Like 8711 has re has they've changed the game about making actors if they if there's martial arts and action involved in the role, there's it's no longer uh diva shows up like, "Oh, my stunt double will do." It. Obviously, there's times where the stunt double is needed, but like nowadays it's nah if, if, for example, if you're on an 8711 production, you can't just walk in and be like, well, no, I'll do a few classes. And anyway, no, it's like, uh, you're training with us for six months to a year. If you don't want to do this role, cool. But uh, guess what? That's the way it's going to be. You want to be the star of this movie? You put in the time, you put in the work. Like Charlize yeah. Theron in Atomic Blonde, Halle Berry's incredible job in John Wick 3, uh, Keanu Reeves in the John Wick movies, etc. Good point. Yeah. But uh, so final thing we should definitely talk about is and we've been bringing up the inaccuracies in the actual story of Bruce Lee. So I, 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 this, I think I, I, as I'm watching the film, uh-huh. I just want to let you know, I took I started taking a running uh, timeline of actual events in his life. And when they took place in the film, I'm like, oh, this, does this really happen then? Let's like, just it, it was, say this. It was gaslighting me. The film. Yeah. When I watched it. Even at when I was like 12 or 13, because I once again I taped off TV, I got out a notepad. And at that age, I already knew so much about Bruce and started taking notes about everything that was wrong with it. Uh, even though I loved the movie, I was like, man, this is, this is, they don't just pay fast and loose. They just make beep up. They make crap up, like so much stuff. And then they go with the whole mystical edge of the supposed curse that his family like thought maybe is why he died. Right. And, you know, obviously, you know, his, he had a sibling that was, had passed away at birth and then they disguised him as a, as a girl, you know, he was little and they called him Siphon, you know, a girl's name, Phoenix. Uh, and, but I mean, they took that and made that like the, the underlying almost theme of the movie, which is just totally blown out of proportion. This whole demon and the fight at the end, which is kind of cool. But at the same time, you're watching it like this is ridiculous. There's so many like real life fights of Bruce's that they could have done. Like, obviously, there's the Wong Jack man fight is completely uh, fictionalized. The whole like they send him the scroll. They go to this underground lair. There's a, uh, you know, the hierarchy of Kung Fu masters watching. Now that happened. The actual fight between the two of them was pretty uneventful in a sense. You know what I mean? But like you could have you could have still made it that like so even that fight, I'll give it to him like whatever. You know, they had to make it more cinematic, but they could have done, you know, his boxing match. And obviously even the opening uh, fight uh, in Hong Kong is reminiscent of, yes, he got in a lot of street fights. Okay. So that's okay. You can do that in a biopic, right? It, it doesn't have to be an actual uh, necessarily event, but it was definitely inspired by events he actually did, but you could have easily had a sequence instead, you know, they do the whole gymnastics fight where he fights off the guys in the gym, which was probably loosely inspired by his actual real life fight against the Japanese karate black belt, uh, Yoichi Nakachi. I prom- I'm probably saying that name totally wrong, but why not do that fight scene? You know what I mean? Well, that would have been then, awesome. And it would have been based off like a real event. You know, why then, not the final fight instead have it his fight against the stuntman on Enter the Dragon, which, yes, he totally kicked the guy's ass, but they could have instead exaggerated and made it a much bigger event. Well, and then, I mean, the Long Beach Convention in 64 with the one inch punch, it's on film and it's also it's also a major pivotal point in his life. Yeah. And it's so not he didn't not? fight anybody like he did sparring with Guru Dan, but 
He, he didn't have he didn't have a, a makeup match versus Wong Jack Man. No, he kicked Wong Jack Man's ass. Wong Jack Man did yeah. not. F, and that is now everyone thinks Bruce got his back all effed up in uh, you know that fight. But no, it was from doing Good Mornings and uh, working out in 1970. Yes, not and he wasn't injured in 1964. He didn't get his uh, he didn't get his book. Uh, the Dao Ji Kun Do didn't come out till after he passed away. I know, and he has his book uh, while he's still in a wheelchair. Yeah. In the 1960s, uh, before he goes to the Long Beach and Convention. How about this? What happened to Seattle? They don't even, he doesn't even, so like, yes, he did immigrate over to San Francisco, then immediately went up to Seattle. Uh, and they just completely eliminate that. It's just, he's just in San Francisco, the Bay Area the whole time. How do you eliminate one of, and Linda Lee's talked about it, you know, like how important the Seattle area is. It's so important. That's where they buried him. So yeah, how do you just completely eliminate that from the movie? In fact, they could have, and I, I think the Bay Area presented a more recognizable uh, mm. landmark for them in sense of like, oh, the Golden Gate Bridge and, oh, Chinatown, San Francisco, right? And yes, he did have a significant part of his life there, but they just com- they completely destroyed the timeline in that sense. Yeah, it, it's all over the place. And I mean, like, I forget when he gets the at what point in the movie where he gets the call about his father. Mm-hmm. But in the timeline, it's, you know, in, in real life, it's 1965. And in the timeline, it's like what happened in 1970. Right. So you did some Which, research because yeah, I know you said you were you weren't too familiar with uh, necessarily the, the, the nuances well, of his life. So I thought, oh, OK, uh, maybe you're going to ask some questions. But you did your research. So that's good. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, basically like I. And some, I mean, I, some stuff you can change for a biopic, right? You have to have the, the narrative. You have to have the script that allows it to flow. You have to condense yeah, things. Is, you have to cut things messy. out. Right, life life. messy. But and, cutting out, completely cutting out Seattle? No, that's not okay, right? Completely eliminating these actual real fights he had and replacing them with ridiculous scenarios? It's like, why though? You didn't need to. Yeah, you, you, I know. It had nothing to do with like building that legend up where we talk about or the in the final fight where it actually captures the le- the essence of the legend. The other there are elements in this film that were unnecessary, and then that's that you know that that it's that's one of the reasons why I do like the film because it's like all of a sudden you're throwing in extra fights in this biopic drama, and like that that's what I was referring to earlier. Like normally this a movie with this many fights would be an action film, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, and that's the thing. We do get a healthy amount of martial arts and action, which I love. And so uh, I feel like we've kind of addressed all the main points of the movie, right? So uh, we've talked about the pros. We've talked about the cons. uh, We've talked about elements that make it a good biography in the sense of it captures the essence of Bruce. It's extremely well made. It's beautifully shot. I think it has, although the script is terrible. Once again, it's one of those like weird dichotomies. The script is terrible in the sense of being accurate to Bruce's story. I like the flow of the script, the acting, the performances are fantastic. The connection, the chemistry between Lauren Holly and Jason Scott Lee is great. Uh, but then we've gone into the historical fiction aspect of, okay, uh, we've completely rearranged the timeline of his life. We've completely eliminated key things. We've completely eliminated key figures like uh, the rest of his family. What the hell? Uh, It's like just him and his dad, supposedly. No. Uh, Where are his siblings? Well, that might have something to do with the less than stellar relationship between uh, the Bruce Lee estate and his family. Uh, Mm -hmm. But so you kind of have all those aspects, which then make it, okay, maybe it's more like a historical fiction, not necessarily like Birth of the Dragon from a couple years ago, but okay. But then you have the exploitation elements, right? You are taking all these liberties. You are not 
telling the true story. You are exaggerating things. You are doing the over-the-top Bruce Lee impersonations from time to time. You are uh, making like you're cashing in on his name in a sense. So I, you know, you're, you're also throwing in these extra fights, and yeah. these extra fights do speak to the Bruce exploitation universe, right? The demons and stuff, right? And like the, you know, and so it's it's interesting. I I I think it's. It's somewhere in between all three. And once again, I love this movie. Uh, and it was important for me. It was probably important for a lot of people watching it. And it, because it truly captures this, this, the, the power and spirit of Bruce Lee. But then some would argue, but that's not the real Bruce Lee. Uh, so it's just, it's strange. And I understand why people are on both sides with this picture. Uh, but for me, I love it. I still watch it. I still enjoy it. And I would still show people, but I always give them the note beforehand. Hey, just as a heads up, this film is completely inaccurate when it comes to the true history of Bruce Lee. So let's talk about it afterwards and you can ask me questions. And I think what it also establishes at the end of the day is we to this day still have not got the proper Bruce Lee biofilm that we need and unfortunately never will uh, because of the current trend of the depiction of, you know, what the Bruce Lee estate would like Bruce Lee to appear to be, uh, the the problem with, you know, Bruce Lee's family and friends with the Bruce Lee estate, what they want to go out there, what they don't want to go out there. But the interesting part is at the beginning of the DVD, there's a little intro by Linda Lee Cadwell where she straight up says, it's like a picture collage. It's about 10 minutes long and she's narrating over it. And she says, thank you for joining us for this special Laserdisc edition of Tracking the Bruce Lee Story. Even though this is the DVD, they just took it from the Laserdisc one. And she says that the movie is the story of a real human being, a struggling person, a loving person with a great many levels to his character, which I think is very a perfect way to describe Bruce Lee, but unfortunately now the, the kind of the the narrative they'd like to put out there is that he was this philosophical guru and this and you know blah blah and things he was, but they're also completely eliminating other things he definitely was, and they also want to eliminate some of the imperfections of Bruce. But guess what? Relating to him as an actual human being and a struggling, she says, a struggling person. And so yeah, he had flaws. Unfortunately, as we know from the Matthew Pauly biography. You know, he he was he was a struggling person. That's the best way to put it. Right. He had imperfections like we all do. He had issues like we all do. But he overcame a lot of those things to become one of the most iconic figures of all time. And so Mm -hmm. I would love for us to get an actual movie where the story's accurate, where you take elements of Dragon, the Bruce Lee story that were great, like the actual filmmaking, the cinematography, the music, the fights, the just the whole aura of the picture. But then all we really need to do is make the story accurate, right? Make what really happened happen on screen. Well, and, and, you, and like if, if there's if there's an issue with this, this is where you this is where you get a true somewhat. Uh, this is where you bring in like a Paul Schrader again, a raging the Raging Bull, the guy who wrote Raging scripted Raging Bull, and also Mishima Life in Four Chapters. You bring someone like him in who can really capture the the difficulties that that. A person in, uh, encountered and can pull out and and also the accomplishments of their lives and pull out the elements that need to be told that you don't need to tell everything in a linear fashion pull out the elements and and s- tell the story through these like with mishima four chapters with with uh, raging bull there were just it wasn't the full linear story it was key elements in the story that were pulled out that 
capture the the individual because you really can't tell someone's full life story without it being a 24 year long film, yeah. 50 year long film. So you have to capture the elements and you don't need to make it too comfortable for the audience to to watch a film as though they're just watching a protagonist rather they're watching an individual right. grow and and succeed through while working through their demons. And guess what? You don't even necessarily have to put more of the, the some of the more controversial elements of his life on screen. Although I do think now the drug letters reveal that his cocaine use actually was a problem and a significant thing and is most likely what led to his death. So actually, at this point, I think that would need to be addressed. But other things, let's say even like, I don't know, his relationship with Betty Ting Pei or some of these, you can like, okay, I guess maybe navigate around that. But so it's not like you have to make a big deal of like, look, this is what was wrong with him. No, it's like this is what made him a real human being, not some deity that, you know, they're trying to present as like a all holy Zen uh, modern day uh Buddha, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I like we said, life is messy, and sometimes you know when you're making a biopic and it's you're trying to make it like a true 90 minute, 120 minute film, you you have to move. They move elements around, and 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 time frames around to make it smooth so an audience can sit down and engage and understand. But you know we've seen that biopics very recently that got messy. worked out for for the audience and worked out for telling the true story about people without it having to trash someone uh, and try to, you know, or whitewash someone, you know? Well, uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything. We're right at our usual length. So any final thoughts? I'm going to leave the final thoughts too because this, this, I'm really glad you picked this film. When you texted me the question, hey, Dragon, biopic, historical fiction, or Bruce Bloitation, I'm like, you really don't want an answer right now, do you? Because yeah, you that's about right. 90 minutes to yeah, I was like, no, no, no. This is, I was driving. It just popped yeah. in my head. I was like, no, no, no. This is a discussion topic. So, <laughs> yeah, I think people should watch this film and decide for themselves. And I totally understand if people are like, man, I love this movie. Or people are like, that was a disgrace. I see both sides of it. And quite frankly, I still enjoy the movie, but I know I can step back and, you know, not necessarily. And also, I'm not a Jeet Kune Do practitioner by trader. I'm not a Wing Chun guy. I'm I, I'm very inspired by Bruce Lee. I'm a huge Bruce Lee super fan. But at the same time, I can enjoy all sorts of art and interpretations of him and not get all butt hurt because I kind of know what Bruce Lee means to me and the kind of true timeline of his life. And I know how to take things in that I want to, or be like, okay, I don't really necessarily like that. Uh, cool. So I suggest everyone watch it. It's an enjoyable film, but just go in knowing that it is very inaccurate and then do yourself a favor and read Matthew Polly's book. If you haven't already, or watch some of even the documentaries, uh, previously made about him. Maybe if you want more real information, uh, and on that note, Great episode. We'll be back next week to record. And uh, awesome seeing you, my man. Likewise. All right. Peace, my brother.